Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. And thank you so much for tuning in once again. Uh, we're doing things a little bit different this week. So as of the time of this recording, we're in um, probably among the heaviest part of the quarantine lockdown right now. Yeah. And we've uh, we've been getting a lot of reports from doctors and officials just saying that like this week and next week are supposed to be like the worst weeks of it. Now, if you're listening to this in the future and things have gotten way worse, then, you know, there's I don't know about that. But as of right now here in the middle of April, this is kind of when we are at the peak of social distancing. So. We actually have this set up on a phone recording. We're each in our own individual houses, and yeah, we're using the magic of technology to connect this up to hopefully get a good, coherent recording across. So um, that's going to probably explain why it sounds a little bit different. If there's any audio delays or anything, then that's what's going. But we're trying to do our best to um, prevent the spreading of disease, uh, something mm-hmm. that... Um, Grant is quite fond of because he loves that anthrax record. I love, I was just about to say that actually. <laughs> <laughs> I read your mind. I knew you were going. Yeah. There. Uh, so yeah, but, uh, so th- we're probably the next several episodes are going to be in this format. So, um, and you know, who knows how long in the future, depending on how long all this stuff takes to clear the air, but at least it's not stopping us from being able to produce content from you guys, which is the thing that concerns me the most. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that we're able to still be there for you guys and still do what we love. And if anything, it's allowed us to do a lot of much needed behind the scenes work to uh, work out a bunch of stuff and to move things forward. So we've gotten the ability to have a lot of extra attention to put towards the podcast, which has been great. Mm-hmm. so um how has the uh how's the quarantine been for you grant what's uh <laughs> what how how all has it affected your life well it, it's made me feel really bad that i used to say you know if only i had time to do this then i'd do it well now i have the time and i'm still not doing it so uh mm, what whatever yeah. it is uh whatever i can't get around to <laughs> i'm still not getting around to it but it's nice <laughs> yeah. to have time yeah. To, to be able to rewatch Breaking Bad uh, and, oh, um, yes. you know, Zoom call a lot of my friends and stuff like that. So, um, I don't know. It's, 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 I mean, we're already in it for a few weeks now. You know, I've already yeah. kind of reacted to what's been happening, especially since uh, school has been out since, you know, early mid-March. Um, so not much has changed for me in the past week or so, but I'm sure for you, that's different. I mean, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's, uh, me being a a family man, it's been nice to just be able to be at home with my family. Mm -hmm. Um, I've gotten to spend a lot of time with both of my sons and, um, but at the same time, when you're, when you're trapped in the house with two very small children it um it it can get interesting at times because mm-hmm. especially my 3 year old son he's like does not understand at all why we can't go anywhere fun or why he doesn't get to go to school or mm-hmm. 
you know, kind of all places he's used to going on a weekly basis. He's like, he keeps telling me, I don't want to stay home today. I want to go somewhere fun. Mm -hmm. But the good thing is that where we live right now, we have a lot of uh, outdoor land that we've just gotten creative on having some fun outside time. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. It's been good. Mm -hmm. So you're uh, probably not allowed to go outside. Technically, no, we are. We are. I mean, here's oh, the thing. There's, okay. nobody, there's nobody around us. Okay. So, first off, that's not an issue. And second of all, it is, it does say in the official guidelines of um, shelter at home, I think is what it's called, mm-hmm. that you're allowed to get outside for exercise. Oh, and okay. trust me, we're doing enough running that exercise is the reason. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's nice. That's good. Yeah. And it's, again, it's, it's allowed me to do a lot of work here. I've gotten to do a lot of extra research that I normally don't have time to do. I've been working very hard on the Instagram page, which I want to talk about in a second. Mm -hmm. And, um, a very close to having Patreon ready. I just have to, uh, spend some time with Grant to kind of work out exactly what we want to put on there, but right. (laughs) Yeah, but yeah, that's expect that in the next probably month or so. Mm-hmm. But okay. until we have Patreon set up, uh, if if you guys do want to donate to this channel, then there is a link in every episode description where you can submit a monthly pledge. And what that's going to go towards is um, research materials for us, upgrading our equipment, and just allowing us to be able to more fully invest into. Um the podcast in general and help us grow it to where we want it to be, which is one of the biggest in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, also another way that you can support us if you don't want to pledge your wallet is uh, hit the subscribe button, give us a rating, give us a review, let us know which artists you want us to cover and, um, and share and also participate on our social media, which I finally have a good amount of um, content to be able to start talking about some of our favorite comments. Yes. Oh, yes. Let's do that. Okay. Yes. We finally get to. <laughs> I'm excited. All right. Yes. Yeah, so uh, this last week, as of recording this, the content that I was mostly posting on was our Muse because Muse was the newest episode at the time. Right. And so I, we got a really great um, comment from Theomatix Zero, who said, I love Muse, but I've only listened to Origin of Symmetry, The Resistance, and Black Holes and Revelations. Origins is probably my favorite just because they go so hard on that album. The Resistance is one of the first albums I bought, so it has a special place in my heart. So, so uh, Black Holes and Revelations is just good. <laughs> Oh yeah, that one's great. Start fish, and then I love that uh, Origin of Symmetry is in there. I, uh, I I got to fire it back and and say that you know whenever we get to another Muse episode, we'll definitely dig more into that record. Mm-hmm. Um, but I yeah, talking about that. And he also mentioned that um, he discovered Reapers for the first time through our podcast. So no way. The, uh, yep. He said that uh, he hadn't heard it before listening to the episode. So those are those are the, I bet he uh, liked it. 
Yeah, those are the things that make me happiest is when we have people hearing songs for the first time and going, oh, I like that. I've never heard that one before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I'm very happy about that. And then over on our Facebook page, we ended up having a pretty good discussion over my post of um, Pink Floyd's Animals which is an album that I've found myself listening to quite a bit while studying. <laughs> yeah. I've got, I've got, I have it on vinyl, so um, it's been on my turntable pretty constantly. Um, but a guy that I used to work with uh, named uh, Josh Severson, which if you're listening, Josh, hello. Uh, he's just about the biggest Pink Floyd fan I've ever known. Me and him have a lot of bands that we heavily agree on um we're both big rush fans big pink floyd fans big iron maiden and metallica fans um we have a lot of overlap in what we listen to so i used to work with him and we would always listen to music um while we worked and so we always got to just jam out to some really geeky stuff but josh posted i just listened to it yesterday what a coincidence to me it's one of their best i personally love the opening acoustic guitar and dogs and the creepy synth leading into the lyrics you've got to be crazy Mm -hmm. pink floyd is my summertime soundtrack i know we're still technically in the spring but it sure is lovely outside Mm -hmm. by a nice pinion fire cold drinks and classic floyd while watching the clouds go by wow i mean it doesn't get much better than that no (laughs) And then we had a we had another friend of mine chime into that conversation, Micah Cochran. Which hello, Micah, if you're listening, and uh, he pipes in about uh, listening to the album Metal and particularly calling out uh, the song Echoes. Uh, uh-huh. He says that it's 23 minutes of beautiful goodness, which I <laughs> so have to agree with. Yes, I remember you making me listen to that one. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. It was a pretty interesting song. Yes, it's a journey. It so, is. So, yeah. So, you know, we're always looking for great comments on our social media platforms. So, if you want to get involved in the discussion, you want to hear your comments read uh, on on our episode, then feel free to chime in. And we try and uh, engage back with you guys as well. Especially, you know, obviously we can't physically be around you guys. So uh, this will be a great way for us to be able to still talk and get to know you guys. Let us know what you think of the episodes, what you think of the songs, and tell us who you want us to cover in the future. So Mm -hmm. uh, with that, I do have one interesting news story that I wanted to talk about. Uh I'm just going to read the headline here because I think this is just uh, not only is it funny, but it's kind of relates a little bit to an incident we had not too long ago. Oh. And it's Cops Bust Pink Floyd cover concert amid COVID-19 lockdown. <laughs> oh, so apparently, Okay. So apparently uh, these two guys were just in their uh, in their front yard outside doing an acoustic Pink Floyd cover concert. Mm-hmm. And like 30 people showed up. And uh, and the police obviously got called because it's breaking the 10, but like everyone got really 
angry and they kept saying like welcome to nazi germany and f the police wow (laughs) and so and it's like all these like old people (laughs) oh man well i mean it was was an acoustic pink floyd concert so i would expect it to be yeah i mean (laughs) i would have showed up and i'm 19 but you know (laughs) yeah well roger waters would have been very proud of the uh the authoritarian rebellion yes that's true he's very famously against all forms of uh of kind of the hard hand of authority (laughs) yep but you know at the same time guys come on let's let's not be dumb here that's true yeah let's make sure that we're doing things right but what kind of really struck out to me was that a couple weeks ago you and I had a, a concert of our own. Yes, we did. We didn't even talk about it. We didn't have previous episodes. Yeah, I don't think we have. Yeah. <laughs> so our our band, Area 52, was scheduled to have a show uh, on March 28th. It was a Saturday evening. Yeah. And we were planning on having a, quite a few number of people there. Oh, yeah. And of course, and this was the day before um, staying home was being enforced yeah. by the police. It was midnight that night when the started yeah so you know thank god that we got it in but of course because of everything no one wanted to come because no one wanted to get sick Mm -hmm. but we ended up doing a virtual show so we live streamed it on facebook and actually got quite a few number of views on Mm -hmm. it so yeah i noticed that uh yeah but it just that's kind of what it reminded me of was kind of going oh yeah we kind of did that but we didn't have people show up and the police certainly didn't come. But I remember thinking the whole concert was going, what if the police come and they arrest us for gathering 10 or more people? <laughs> yeah. I, I highly doubt that would have happened, you know? Yeah, I, I, I knew it wouldn't. But it was just kind of one of those things sitting in the back of my head yeah. while I was playing. Yeah, no, definitely me too. Uh, but it, it didn't keep me from having fun playing my guitar on a live stream. Oh, yeah. And we got some nice it video was... and... Uh, it was just fun. R- it was still one of the most fun things I've ever done. Yeah, that's true. It was really, really cool. And you were probably sweating by about the third song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I was surprised by how good I felt all the way through the show. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until after the drum solo in the third set that I kind of was just going, okay, I'm, I'll be, I'm ready for this to end now. Oh yeah, and then um, I mixed that for you and sent it into you. Yeah, and it sounds great. But by, by the way, I did mix that. Don't let my dad tell you any different. Well, <laughs> guy did fool me into thinking that he did. <laughs> guy. Uh, but that that was a fun thing to uh, listen to over and over, and try to get it yeah. right. So it's definitely got me a lot of ideas on how I can improve it. But I can imagine. I yeah. still. I still was very surprised and pleased by how well it turned out because all of the rehearsals for that drum solo were much less than stellar. Really? And then somehow, oh yeah. And then somehow I just, it all came together in the moment that it needed to most. That's really interesting because every time you played it, I thought it was great. But, um, well, I mean, (laughs) to my critical ear, I was very dissatisfied every time I played it, except for the performance. Well, you're probably your own worst critic. Yeah, aren't we all? We all are. Yes. Um, 
I think we should go ahead and talk about our band for this week. Yes. If I may. So we're uh, we're going back to the 70s and kind of the 80s. Kind of the 80s. Okay. So the band this week is Blondie. Yes. Um, so you mentioned 70s to 80s. What kind of time frame are we looking at? Like what years were they active so we're looking uh the first album coming out in 76. Oh wow. Okay. And uh, it was December 76 and then the last album came well, I mean technically they're still uh making records now, mm-hmm. but it's the classic period is like 76 to 81. Why is 81 the end of that period? Because that's, well, uh, hold on. So, uh, technically 82, even though the that album, when The Hunter came out, that was kind of like their, their big commercial flop. Mm, and it, just, okay. it led to them, it led to them breaking up for about 15 years. Oh, okay. Okay. And then they got back together in the late 90s. They've pretty much been back together ever since. They've, I want to say they've released like four or five records since then. But of course, they're not really ones that everyone's just going, oh my God, these are important records now. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say that they're, from what I've read, they're better than a lot of comeback records. Like hmm. bands that are releasing stuff like way after their classic period. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, it doesn't hold a flame to what they did in that magical small window. So Really, if you're looking at where were they, um, where were they the most fruitful? It would have been um, seventy six to eighty. Mm, okay, right because and that last only, album was a big flop. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even say it was a big flop, but it flopped in comparison to what they had done before, like. They were one of the biggest bands in the world at that time in the late 70s. Hmm. Like, like it was one of those things to where even though that period went very quickly, man, they made the most of it. That's really interesting because we talk a lot about a lot of bands that are in that time frame. You know? Yes. Uh, I mean, this was. Yeah. This was one of the most turbulent periods of music ever. There's so much going on in the late 70s. So much. Oh, wow. But there really were, is. Yeah. Because, I mean, you had punk rising and falling during this period. Yeah. Disco rising and falling. You had New Wave that was really um, making its mark and setting the tone for the 80s at this time. Hair metal. Um, you, had rock, you had rock itself mm-hmm. having a near death and then glorious resurgence mm-hmm. in the late 70s. You had a lot of heavy metal really being solidified at this time. There was just there was just a lot. Yeah. But um, Blondie was one of the instrumental groups in shaping how the end of this decade went. And we'll talk more about that kind of when we look at their history, kind of how they evolved sound wise. Okay. So why don't we talk about that right now? So, uh, yes, as far as their start goes, whose idea was it to uh, form Blondie or form the band or whatever? 
So there's really two key members. And I'm and not even what I would say like when I say key members, I'm not talking about the two members that have been on every record, because there's actually been three that have been on everything. Um, but the two kind of creative and um, important visionaries of the band is uh, Chris Stein, who's the guitar player, mm-hmm. and Debbie Harry, the lead vocalist. Those do not sound and like Swedish names. because They're not Swedish. This they're, sounds like a Swedish American. band. Oh no, they're they're uh, they're New York, New Jersey. Sounds like ABBA. Yeah, <laughs> no. What? Okay. Whatever. All right. No, this is an Amer- this is an American band right here. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I guess I can under I can understand where you're coming from because ABBA has some songs that do sound like Blondie. Mm-hmm. But. No, this is this is definitely an American band. I mean, with a name like Blondie, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And she's the only so, she's the uh, only uh, female and the only blonde-haired individual in the group. Yeah, so she definitely you stands can definitely out. tell that. You can definitely tell that from the album covers. Yes, <laughs> everyone else is Man. is a is a brown hair, black haired dude so yeah <laughs> debbie debbie harry was a a force of nature just she be she be she rose to become an icon in general like she became a big fashion icon oh um she really was a sex symbol in in music at that time and uh just really brought a unique take she was kind of like a more successful joan jett and that's Ooh. not saying that Joan Jett wasn't successful, but that's how big Blondie was. Interesting. Okay. I mean, because I mean, they did make it into that uh, Bowling for Soup song. Uh, what song would that 1985? Be? In the chorus. Man, it talks about you two and Blondie. I haven't heard that song in maybe 15 years. <laughs> wow. Okay. Like, I remember when that song first came out and my sister, it was, we had just gotten our first iPods when they, when like the first generation iPods when they were first coming out. And the rule was in the house that we could like buy five songs a month. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the songs that my sister bought because it was on the Disney channel all the time. Oh, it was. And <laughs> a heavily edited version, I found out. Oh. Because there were some, there were some phrases in there that were not very kid appropriate, but she played that song over and over and over again. And I hated that song growing up. <laughs> well, I'm sorry for me. That's probably why I haven't. Li- that's why I haven't listened to it in 15 years. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> No, it's fine. I, maybe if I listen to it again, I'll have a different opinion. I know exactly <laughs> where it's going to take me, though. It's going to take me to Orlando, Florida, <laughs> in the early two thousands. Uh, it, it had to be said, though. I had I had to mention that uh, because that's right where my mind goes when I hear Blondie. And then, of course, you know the fact that they made that into the song just represents the fact that they were so big. You know that that yeah. on top of all that turmoil, they were. It was Blondie, and you know a few other bands 
it's interesting because like I feel Blondie nowadays doesn't get the respect that they deserve as far as when you are looking at the other bands of that time. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like I feel like bands like The Police and Talking Heads kind of get more of the revered legacy. Mm-hmm. To where, like, even younger kids know who they are. Mm-hmm. But, like, I feel like a lot of people just, a lot of younger people, and I'm not talking about, like, you know, teenagers or even your age, but, like, even people my age, I feel like aren't as knowledgeable about what Blondie did and how big they really were. In fact, I didn't even realize how big they were until I started doing the research for this. And I was just like, holy crap. Like, these guys were on top of the world. Yes. So, so uh, I, we, we both yeah. know that you don't just pick bands because they're famous, but also because they have musical influence, right? Yes. Now, is that the case mm-hmm. with Blondie? You just said what they did. What, what did they do for music? So, the best way that I can... Um that I can explain that is to kind of look and see like how they evolved over time. So when they first started out, they were a punk group Mm. and they were part of, and they were part of the very beginning New York punk scene. So they were like doing the same clubs and gigs as the Ramones and Patti Smith were doing before they got big. Oh, okay. Like they were part of that, that very beginning New York punk scene right before it exploded. Uh, but like no one took them seriously at that time because they had a, you know, they had a, a girl fronting the band and they also weren't as, um, they weren't as intense, even though they were still a punk band. And then if you listen to that first record, just the self-titled Blondie album, it's a very hard hitting album with, I would say the exception being the one that actually makes it onto this list. Hmm. Which I think um, I can guess what it is. From that but, uh, yeah. Okay. And 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 then just kind of as they evolved over the next couple albums with their second and third record, they really started to um, incorporate a lot of the emerging new wave. So new wave really kind of starts like seventy seven, I would say, when specifically the Talking Heads first album comes out. That's kind of when you can really pinpoint. And, that's the beginning of new wave. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if any, do you have an idea of kind of what I mean when I say new wave music? You mean like what the police became? I would say it's actually, yeah, I guess they really became fully new wave. They were like a new wave punk hybrid starting out and then went into full new wave. It's like, it's pop, but it's very arty pop. It's not, easily accessible pop but at the same time it is i don't know if that makes any sense uh-huh like they're they're not just writing bubblegum pop music but they're using specifically a lot of electronic elements in very creative oh yeah that's fashions. true that's true so it's it's not just a it's not like take on me electronic where it's just very straightforward pop music but they're trying to, they're experimenting with a lot of weird chord voicings and a lot of ambient atmospherics. They're trying to set darker moods typically. 
Um, they're kind of like like college radio, mm-hmm. where you really kind of it's like very pretentious, very you know everyone's dressed in like you know very baggy suits and it's new wave was just kind of like the beginning of what in the 80s they would adopt and just kind of make the standard form of pop music mm-hmm. or it's very electronic driven uh new wave really were among the first them in the kraut rock scene in germany experimenting with like electronic drums and sequencers and just kind of like trying to make music that sounded weird and futuristic but not like in an accessible way Ooh, okay because i always and so i always thought that new wave was like i i don't know how to describe it but kind of like this weird mystical way of making music versus what you know i listened to the police episode uh, what what the police are, which is actually kind of to us, you know, very accessible music at least. But you you just mentioned yeah. that it's not very accessible. I mean, I guess in the way in the way that it's not like your standard pop chords. Oh, so it's just, they're, they're they're adding a little bit. Of they're variation. doing a they're doing a lot more interesting things musically, and they're not as much conforming to standard song structure it's not always uh, verse chorus bridge you know uh, oh yeah it's it's art rock with a pop sheen to it because really at the end of the day they are making pop music they're just going about it in a more sophisticated way kind of more stream of consciousness and less you know structured. yeah but also in in some ways very calculated as well they're they're choosing things intentionally that are you know especially when you look at a lot of deeper cuts from these new wave records you'll hear some really weird stuff on there Mm -hmm. where they're really getting experimental Mm -hmm. and and blondie's the same way i'm sure yes so by the second by the second and definitely by the third album they were incorporating a lot of new wave into their sound hmm and really, they become became among the leading members of the new wave scene, along with the Talking Heads, along with the Cars, eventually with the Police. Um, they were among those those core bands in the late seventies that really shaped just about everything that came after with eighties pop. Wow. Okay. So, so that's I would why, say that's that, why we're talking about them is because they shaped the face of music for. An entire decade, at least. With that, I would say that without late seventies new wave, I can't really even think of what eighties pop would have sounded like because they kind of slayed that whole foundation, and then the pop guys were just like kind of more stealing their ideas and sh- and making it like dumbing it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of just when you know taking it to its basic form. Even a lot of like the early '80s pop, huge pop singles were very experimental in nature. You look at stuff like you know she blinded me with science, and it's just like, oh, yeah. what the heck? What is this song? It's not your typical pop song, but it's like it's so indicative of the '80s. That's pretty much like that's a new wave song, essentially. Yeah. And so Blondie were among those that really brought it forward i would say they were the first ones to like get new wave really really big 
because the talking heads didn't hit that level of big until the 80s kind of really began. Mm. And I would say, you know, the cars, the cars weren't as new wave as mm-hmm. Bondi was. Uh, and then the police really came like right in, in 79. They kind of etched in right before the turn of the decade. So, so really, Blondie, I would say, was the first big successful new wave group. So Blondie, now, Blondie any, is the Nirvana any, of new wave. Yeah, I guess so. Okay. That's a, I think that's a good way of putting it. So, yeah, I, the album Parallel Lines was kind of like the big, uh, the big album for them. It was the third one. It came out in 78. Uh, we've got three songs from that album on this list, if that's indicative of kind of what mm-hmm. a big shift this, this record was. Not just for Blondie, but for kind of the music uh, industry in general. Mm-hmm. So it still had kind of that punk edge to it. But at the same time, this is when they really started putting in that new wave feel. And especially they... Uh, incorporated disco which was the big the biggest thing in the world at that time Mm. you know we talk all about how you know punk was so important and new wave but the biggest thing at the end of the 70s the thing that was selling most records was disco and i forgot that (laughs) yeah a lot of bands died because they tried to go disco Uh and um, but Blondie was able to do it and get really big, partly because they weren't really big yet. But uh, when Heart of Glass came out, that just like took them to a stratosphere. And then they just, they rode it all the way until that breakup. Mm-hmm. Remember how I always talk about in other episodes how um, you're lucky to ever have a number one hit? Yes. They've got three. Wow. So, okay, yeah. (laughs) I can kind of see it, actually. One of those songs being the best-selling song of that year. Ooh. Ooh. So, an even rarer thing to get. There's a lot of number one songs that don't end up being the number one hit of the year. Right. And they, they even got one of those. That was one I read that fact, and I was just like, oh, my gosh. He's, this band was huge. It's just really weird to think about because, you know, I, I mentioned Blondie to somebody and they're like, who's that? And I just have to start singing one way or another. And they're like, oh, I didn't know who that was. But yeah, and that's not even one of their number one hits. Yeah, which is weird. Oh, my good, I thought it was. Oh, my goodness. Nope. That's kind of a song that's kind of become more famous in retrospect. It wasn't even really a big hit for them at the time. Mm-hmm. But again, we'll we'll talk more about that when we get to the actual yes, songs. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, yeah, Blondie just that period specifically, I'd say from seventy eight to eighty. So that two years, they got three number one singles and just like completely dominated the charts. Mm-hmm. Just like took everyone down crazy oh wait hold on i need to i need to amend something that i said they have four number one oh my goodness okay (laughs) 
Uh, <laughs> wow. I'll be lucky if I yeah, ever get so, anything on the top 40 ever. I know. <laughs> Again, like there's so many huge bands that don't even have one. They've got three more number one hits than Pink Floyd. Uh, let me guess. Uh, Brick in the Wall Part 2. Yep. Okay. That's their only uh, number one hit. And funny enough, it was number two on the 1980 best-selling singles list, and it lost to Blondie. <laughs> wow. What song of theirs? Uh, Call Me. I expected that. Okay. I would expect that, yeah. Um, so, is there any more little cool tidbits of knowledge Blondie-related that maybe so, we don't know? So, it's... It's easy to assume that just the reason they're called Blondie is because they have a blonde girl in the group. Mm-hmm. But the reason she came up with that name was because she would get catcalled in New York all the time by people saying, hey, Blondie. And she decided to use that as an intentional way to say that, you know, you're going to wish that you're catcalling me now because I'm going to be a huge star and I'm still going to use that demeaning term that you used to use and now I'm going to use it as my as my armor and my shield and as my way of dominating the music scene. Wow. So I thought that that was a pretty cool That is uh, that is super reason cool. And why that name in particular was chosen. That's super rock and roll if you think about it. Oh yeah. <laughs> Debbie Harry is a true rock and roll star. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Like, you watch her live, you see her charisma, even you can just hear it in the way she's singing. Like, she's not, like, a dainty, girly girl, like, that you expect from, like, your pop divas. Mm -hmm. Like, she totally gives off simultaneously that she's tough and one of the boys, while at the same time being very, um, very attractive. Mm -hmm. She's got a very attractive voice. Mm Mm-hmm. It's very sultry and smooth, but then it's again, it's not in the same way that you would like classify something like Madonna or, um, or even, you know, someone like Stevie Nicks. Mm-hmm. Like she's just she's got a very tough side about her that she somehow at the same time still makes it sound sexy. Which is really hard to do. I mean, she's probably yeah. she's probably one of the very few people who's done it. You know, certainly the first, I'd say. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you know the history, but um, that's I wouldn't probably... say I wouldn't say she was the first to do it, but she was one of the best to do it for sure, and probably the biggest for a long time. Yeah, I would say probably the only female. Rock divas bigger than her are Stevie Nicks and Janis Joplin. But as far as just who had the best full package, I would say Debbie Harry had it. Right. And and there's a lot of stuff on the songs that, that we can talk about as far as her voice and, and what she can do with it that's really unique. Um, mm-hmm. So I think we should go ahead and take a break. And- yeah. So when we come when we come back, we'll uh, get in deeper into the songs. So uh, make sure you stick around. Stay tuned. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about Blondie and their big influence on 80s music. And it's time for us to talk about the songs that we've picked for this episode. So what do I mean by that, Lucas? So every episode, if you're joining us for the very first time, uh, we pick normally six songs. There'll be times when I break the rules on that. Uh, but normally six songs to just kind of give us more of a... Um, a deeper dive and to be able to give concrete examples about what we're talking about with their sound. I can just describe what they sound like all day long, but it's in the songs that you'll actually get to like really zone in on what that means. As well as if you've never listened to Blondie before, these songs will serve as the best first impression of kind of who they are as a band. While also at the same time, I'm selecting the songs in, ordering them in a way to where they have like a flow from start to finish. The songs transition well off each other. And by the end, you have a great cathartic emotional release. So it's not just me picking my six favorites or the six best or the six most popular. Um, It's kind of all those things combined. So um, if you want to hear these songs, if you've never heard these songs, then Check out in the episode description, I've got a link to a Spotify playlist that uh, you can hear all those songs as well as every song from every previous episode that we've done. So go check that out and uh, let's go ahead and jump into the first song, which is One Way or Another. Yes. I I hope that's the full title. (laughs) Yeah. One Way or Another. That's right. This is off the Heart of Glass album, right? Yeah, Parallel Lines is what that album is called. Oh, it's called, it's off the same one as Heart of Glass. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> um, a lot of people probably call it the Heart of Glass one because it was the biggest hit off the album. But <laughs> so, I mean, we, it's like you're not wrong. Uh, everyone knows this song. Uh, I feel like this song has been covered a lot. I feel like it has too. The first time that I heard this song was actually a cover of it. I want to say oh. it was on like a. I want to say it was on like a Disney Channel original movie or something. <laughs> like I remember, I remember hearing it on like Radio Disney. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just, yeah. Just just so you know, I I lived in Orlando from like 2000 to 2005, uh-huh. and Radio Disney was broadcast like half a mile from my house. Wow. We took a couple field trips there once at school. It was pretty cool. That is cool. But we had this, where we live, we had this intercom system that instead of an alarm clock, my parents would just turn the radio, Radio Disney on and on the intercom. And that was like our way to know that it was time to get up. <laughs> and I, I want to say that my first time hearing that was a cover by one of the Disney artists. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't until way later, it was actually, I... Uh, when I played Rock Band 2, uh, the original was on that. And I remember hearing and going, oh, that's this song. I guess this is the original version. Mm-hmm. And um, this this version is just, it kicks so much butt. 
It does, yeah. I would say it's probably the hardest hitting song on this list. Mm, yeah, okay. Well, yeah. yeah. As far as just like not having as maybe much not as emotionally. Pop. Oh yeah, probably not emotionally, but as far as just like the attack on the guitars and uh, this is definitely showing more of their punk side. And it definitely shows off more of what we talked about earlier with the fact that she was able to like get some rasp in her voice. Mm-hmm. You know, she she wasn't just, you know, the sweet singer. Yes. She actually had a bit of like rock and roll attitude, you know, mm-hmm. which is really weird the first time I heard it. Uh, because obviously, you know, I know the hook. But, yeah, but um, some some of the you know parts of the verses and stuff I, I wasn't as familiar with, and she would sing kind of you know in that raspiness, and I I of course don't remember it because I used to listen to this song when I was really really young, mm-hmm. um, and it it it's something that you have to get used to. Yeah, because it is definitely shocking if you've never heard it before, you know. But I like it now. Yeah, like I would say that if it wasn't in there, it it would it would just not be the same. Mm-hmm. No, you wouldn't believe it. That's true. You wouldn't believe you... it. So that brings me to my next point. What is this song even about? So this was actually based off of a real experience that she had with a stalker, and so she's singing from the first half. of The song is she's singing from her stalker's point of view, saying, "One day I'm going to find you. I'm going to get you." And then it switches to her perspective on the second half saying, I'm going to lose you. I'm going to give you the slip. That makes more sense now. Yeah. So that explains everything. (laughs) uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And I don't, and it's like, even me, like, I remember thinking, I was just like, what does she mean by this? Is she like, just like this really creepy girl, but then like all of a sudden she doesn't like him anymore and she's trying to get away. Yeah. And then it was just like the, it's kind of like how, Sherlock Holmes says like the most obvious explanation is usually the correct one. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very obvious that, you know, it's just, you know, she's just, she's flipping the perspective. She's playing two different characters, which it really helps having the snarl in the particular in the first half. Cause she's, you know, she's embodying something that she said was actually very disturbing for her. Mm-hmm. And she, especially like in the kind of, I guess like it's the post verse when she goes, when she sings like really low and you've got that male voice kind of double track to give it like this really weird Mm -hmm. sound. It's very Mm -hmm. creepy. I mean, just, you know, that's, that's definitely, you know, evoking the mood of feeling like you're being watched. Yeah. Um, Which, which is weird for such a, kind of a, a poppy guitar line yeah i mean it's i would say that's just that's a pure rock and roll line mm-hmm. like that's, that's there's a there's a little bit of funky strumming going on there yeah like i would say like this is kind of more back to like like really old rock and roll like very oh, simple yeah very bluesy like this almost kind of makes me feel like it could have been like in the 50s obviously with you know and if it's in the seventies, it's got more crunch to it, but mm-hmm. just kind of the way that it's phrased, it kind of feels just more like 
kind of again more almost kind of like that Tom Petty brand of rock and roll. It does. That's true. Which again, they were big at a, right about the same time. That so that's sense. also true. Yeah. Huh. Also, there was one member of the band that I forgot to give a shout out to. The other member of the band that's been on everything with them. And someone that really shines on this album or on this song. And that is drummer Clem Burke. Mm. I feel like I've heard that name. Probably. Uh, I, maybe you have. <laughs> but uh, but he's, hmm. he's, he's been with Blondie this whole time in both the the classic period and in their reunion and okay i remember like always whenever i was younger and hearing this version the version that i knew as the rock band version that the drums in particular were just really great on this song mm-hmm. and, and he just he kind of go ahead oh no i was just you're you're keep talking about the drums <laughs> Uh, he just he really kind of is the one that brings that that punk urgency to it mm-hmm. and is the one that gives it I would say the most bark and aggressiveness because he's you know it could be very easy for him to to half the speed on the symbols but I mean he completely commits and he's very solid too. Yeah, um, and, and there's got a lot of fast fills and yeah, really, and really hits hard. And there's that one section that I guess you could consider a guitar solo, which is really yeah, it is a guitar really solo, cool, by the way. Um, uh, there's some interesting like cymbal hit rhythm. It doesn't yeah, just yeah, that syncopated like, boom boom the bad the boom boom yeah. Stuff. Yeah. It doesn't just sound like hits. It sounds like he's still playing a rhythm, but there's still some accentuation and everything going on and and that whole section right there I think is is the best part of the song. Uh Yeah, because it, it's is that a key modulation that they do? I want to say it is. Telling music theory, man. I don't th- I don't think so. I think what they do for that section is they uh somehow flip it into like a a weird key. And then they go back to the normal key, so it sounds like a modulation. I don't think it is, but she definitely is singing a different vocal line, which could probably help. She's uh, well. I I think she just she goes up an octave, or maybe she's singing a really high harmony. Because uh, because when she goes back down for the second half of that third verse, it's the same as the previous two verses. Yes, that's that's true. But she seen she sings a kind of a, a slightly higher, more I don't know, more more prevalent uh, in the mix vocal line than she was in the first parts of the other verses. Yeah, you know the the part that everybody remembers when you go one way or another. That's the part I'm talking about. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, great singing. It's good singing, and it's also good theme and variation. I mean, they could have very easily had just done the same line, but because they changed it, that's what at least I remember from the song from listening to it when I was, you know, like seven. And I think yeah. that's what a lot of people remember, you know, and definitely the getcha, 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 getcha. Uh-huh. Which, I mean, again, this this is a song that 
and I feel like the covers fail in this is that it, that can get really corny. Mm-hmm. But they just somehow it isn't corny when they do it. And I think that's where a lot of the cover versions really fail is that they kind of, it's just kind of like this, oh, I'm going to get you. But just whenever she sings it, it's just kind of like, it's just got this manic energy to it. Right. Well, she's singing it because she believes it, you know, it's from, yeah, from not because she trick. wrote it. Yeah, yeah, it really happened to her. Uh, you know, when you do cover songs, you do lose that personal connection that the original writer had to the words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My favorite part of the song is the is the whole ending sequence when it switches to that Tom groove and he's uh, Clem has those those great fills and he intersperses in there. And then mm-hmm. it's you've got the the panned different parts where and the one side just going the way I can see it all and then the other side the what oh yeah oh yeah and it does like a really long fade out yeah yeah I don't know what you're talking about that that's like that's another new wave thing right isn't it that that you have the repeating line at the end of the song oh that's people Beatles were the ones that came up with that huh. People, that's that's been going wrong for a long time. I would say maybe new wave artists were more likely to do that, but they didn't invent it. Okay, so they just okay. I guess I would say I the guess. most. I would say the most new wave part of the song is the is the uh, the keyboard dissonant chords playing in the background, almost kind of mimicking the police siren. Mm. That's mm-hmm. that's new wave. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's barely there. You can barely hear it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, that's that is that is pretty new wave. I mean, now that I know what the definition of new wave is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'll you'll start to pick up what, what elements are borrowing from what. Mm-hmm. Um so after talking about the big, I guess, now retroactively hit, which by the way, it was not a hit in its time. No. It was not. And, I want to say it wasn't even. Uh, here, I can I can take a look here and see exactly where in the charts it ended up. Um, uh, you'll have to give me a second here. And and, and I guess the the next follow up question to that was what what changed, you know. Was it just so like it oh? It got up to number twenty four, which I mean is not bad, but it's not great either. Yeah. But but so, what, what changed? Why is that a song that we all know today? You know, I'm not quite sure. I think it's just one of those songs that just for whatever reason just got on the the rock radio rotation, and it's just kind of and definitely the song was a big hit live. Like, this was kind of, you know, one of their big mm-hmm. songs that they would play at their shows. And I don't know. I think I think there's some songs just, just stand the test of time. And sometimes that's just, you know, I think if you've got enough radio DJs that like it, that just keep it in their in their classic rock rotation, it's just it's kind of just becomes one of their essential songs. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I well, don't have the answer on why specifically. Maybe also because a lot of people covered it. Okay. 
couldn't that tell could you. be it that's true um so i think we should go ahead and move on to the next song because we've yeah. spent enough time on the on the big um hanging on the telephone yes off of the same album right yes it is now so interesting did, thing... you, did you do this because go ahead no actually whenever I originally sequenced this i didn't realize they were on i actually was pulling the greatest hits versions of these songs just kind of uh-huh. just kind of put together like a a temporary set just to kind of see what i had to work with and i had never heard this song before i started researching oh. for this for this um episode and but i had heard the name several times before and so i already knew before i started that one way or another that's how i'm going to start the set it's, i think it's the best way i can and then I was just like, let me hear the song Hang On The Telephone. And immediately I was just like, this is a great song and it's going to go exactly right there as number two. So are they right after each other on the album? Actually, and this is the interesting the thing. They're flipped. Hanging On The Telephone is the first song on the album and it goes into one way or another. That is, hmm. And I can also see how that's a great sequencing. Because I listened to the yeah. album, and I was just like, "That works." Yeah. But then also because my yeah, because hanging works. on the telephone has that uh, that telephone uh, kind of like nobody's home by Pink Floyd kind of start. Yeah. Where it just got the telephone, the answering machine, or whatever. Yeah. Or not the answering machine, just the. Well, actually, you're thinking aisle. of um, you're thinking of the the intro to Mother. I am. You're right. <laughs> but that's beside the point anyway. Yeah. Um, this song is, I think, probably one of the strongest second songs of any set so far. Oh, I would say the strong- interesting. I would say the strongest is probably The Killers, just because Mr. Oh, Brightside yeah. is such a great Mr. song. That's, that's such a great song. Uh, but it, this song was not overshadowed by the first one as much as, you know, second songs have been in the past. It's got its own feel to it, you know, especially because the hook has some double tracked vocals that are panned left and right, which is a really cool and really unique sound. Uh Uh, And that adds to its own character separate from one way or another which didn't have any of that in the whole song so um still not my favorite song of the set but it's still really good yeah I, I did really like this song it was a pleasant surprise yeah so again i think that it this accomplishes the same thing that one way or another does as far as kind of showing um the punk side of blondie but i think that this song is revealing more the new wave that was really creeping in at this point. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. So we're kind of we're kind of building up the story of Blondie with these. Yes. Guys, which is the, so. the whole goal. <laughs> uh-huh. I think that, you know, this is this is a, a even though this song still has a lot of edge to it, particularly from the drums because again, he's just he's really Clem is really pounding it on this song. But mm-hmm. you really hear a lot more of the pop hooks in there. Um, right. You've got the keyboards 
being a lot more visible in this song than they were in the last one, where last one was very much more guitar centric. Mm-hmm. And and the chord progression, the major chord progression for the verse is just two chords that really aren't pop chords, you know, and, and maybe, you know, on sheet music, they are actually just, you know, the major pop chords, but the way that it's played, the way that it's phrased, and especially, you know, she'll sing like three lines instead of four, uh-huh. I think uh-huh. is, is something that's special. Yeah, as well as the fact that the second and fourth verses have different structures than the first and the third. Oh. He adds those extra sections in there. Almost like a post-verse or a pre-chorus. Oh, the I can't control myself? Yeah, section? uh-huh. Those aren't yes. in the first and third verses. They're only in the second oh, and fourth. Oh, yeah. And, and she kind of like eases up on her voice during those parts from the mm-hmm. verse. Yeah. And then I, I I don't think she she gets strong. I don't know. It's just yeah. that's true because she can convey a mood through just the way her voice sounds like without any lyrics. Yeah, it's and... super cool. Oh my god. Uh huh. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, she's so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, very interesting thing about this song is that they did not write this song. This is actually a cover. No way. Uh huh by a band and this is i think where covers can i think work at their best it's from a band that no one has ever heard of or ever would have heard of the Mm -hmm. only thing they ever released was an ep by a band called the nerves you're correct in assuming that i've never heard of that band and so (laughs) i think that what cover songs are most effective is when you take these songs that no one would have ever heard and you reinvent them, not only giving yourself a great song, but kind of giving credit to artists that, that wrote great songs that just never got heard by anyone. Right. Right. And that, that's, that's for me, that's how I discovered Nazareth. Yeah. Is that GNR cover of hair of the dog. Yeah. I mean, Nazareth was, I won't say that. I mean, big, me, but... me personally, of course, you know, I'm yeah, not yeah. saying for the rest of the world. Because Hair of the Dog was fairly big, and then, but really their big song was Love Hurts. That's like a rock radio classic. Oh, yeah. But oh, I mean, yeah. like, like, you know, comparing to the nerves, like, I mean, just no one ever would have heard of them, ever. And I would say, <laughs> and, you know, they, one of their songs on their, Lone EP ends up being covered by what became one of the biggest bands of the late seventies. So kind of, really, all the uh, all the compositional merit should go to the Nerves. Or did they do any any changes? I haven't listened to the original version, so I can't say what they changed from it. I do know that you would have never known it was a cover, which I think is a style or a credit to. Blondie being able to reinvent the song for themselves. That's cool. Yeah, that's that's the way to do covers. Uh huh. Huh. Okay. I didn't yeah. know this was a cover. So I don't have any like anyway. cool stories about like, oh yeah, this 
the lyrics were inspired by this true event or how she was, you know, she didn't write the words to it. Huh. Okay. Now, it's the, it's the well, only song on this list that's a cover. We won't find that that's also true on other songs, but on this particular one, yes. Well, while you're hanging on the telephone, <laughs> you, should go ahead, you should go ahead and call me. Which is the next song. Call me, which uh, is one of the contenders for my favorite. And I think we're going to do the same thing we did with the Between the Buried and Me. Okay. What's uh, that? And, and kind of look through the different songs, and I'll tell you which one's my favorite at the end. But uh, Okay. If, if you care, you know. You know, um, I kind of feel the same way. I'm, I'm it, really, it, I'm pretty, sh- I'm pretty sure which one my favorite is. But then I hear some of the other one. I'm just like, dang, I kind of want this one to be my favorite. Because you like that one part or that one group. Uh huh. Yeah. So yeah, I, this. As soon yeah, as I, go ahead. as soon as I realized that hanging on the telephone was for sure my number two. Then I was just like, well, then it makes sense for Call Me, another telephone-themed song, to come right after. Yeah. This is this is the song, I think the Blondie song that I've actually heard the most. Because uh, when I was like, I don't even know, probably like six or seven, um, my grandfather gave me and my sister two separate CDs of like a bunch of like classic songs from this era. That were like uh-huh. big hits for us to like listen to, like in the car or whatever. And this was one of the songs on one of ours, and I can't remember whose it was. But um, I, every time I listen to this song, I think of like me driving to, you know, my elementary school, or not me driving, but you know, going to my elementary school in the car, or you know, going to McDonald's or whatever in the afternoon. I I just think of the the van that our family had uh, when i was a kid and so this song like even though it probably has nothing to do with you know going to mcdonald's in a big gray minivan um it just that's where it takes me <laughs> so this yeah. song is kind of special to me. um but it's it's at that also just a good song in and of itself you know um and they did write this i'm sure yes they did so this actually was not on an album this is a standalone single uh-huh. because it was it was written for a movie. Ooh. This is a movie soundtrack song for a movie called American Gigolo. Okay. So <laughs> um I I don't I don't think the movie is like one of those like well remembered ones. But the song certainly is. Oh, yeah. This, I would say for sure the song eclipsed the the movie it was on. And yeah. um, so the movie is about a male prostitute. Right. And that's, what the, and that's what the song's about. Saying, you know, call me and I'll come out and, and do my work for you. Hmm. So. Well, that's kind of weird. I thought it was yeah. just like. Hey, call me because, like, you know, I love you. No, it's that's what it's, I thought it was about. It's call me. My services are available. Oh, that's so sad. Which you kind know, of, I will choose. To, I will choose to think of it as the way that I originally did. You can think about it however you want. That's the <laughs> beauty of music. Uh, listener artist separation. Yes. <laughs> Put your own meaning to it, but that is what it. it <laughs> 
factually is about because I mean it's it's what the movie was about originally uh they asked Stevie Nicks to compose the song and mm. she turned it she turned it down and then they turned to Blondie and she was like yeah sure what the heck Ended up being so this, a this is their this is their number one of all time song yes this is this has been their best selling song it was number one for six weeks in a row wow that's hard to, that's hard to do that is a that is a lot of time. Oh, in the music world, especially during that turbulent time. Oh yeah, this is nineteen eighty. No way. Mm-hmm. Wow. So this is the latest in Blondie's career that we're looking at in this. Huh. So okay. yeah. So let's let's talk about like what's actually in the song. Yeah, let's do that. Um, Which so I think it's... the 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 thing that stands out to me is that drum track. Holy crap! It's kind of swung. You know, the whole band is swung. But yeah, um, I, I think at least I'm feeling it's, a bit it's of got a tri- It's got a, well, it's got a triplet feel to it. Yeah. It's a very, it's, it's what I would say probably a, where Knights of Sidonia gets some of its influence. Yeah, there's a lot where of you, kind where of. It's, it's counting in four, one, two, three, four, but you got. Oh, yeah, where you got the. Like. It's a polyrhythm. Hmm. I'm not. I'm not feeling the. I'm not feeling the triplets there. But I'll take your word for it. One two three four five six. One two three four five six. One two three four five six. One two. One two three four five six. One two. I got you. Yeah. I got you. But the drums are the drums are playing in four four. But the guitars are playing in six. Whoa. So it's a so again. Oh. I got all you. of the drum, Dang. all of the drum feels are in triplets. But then you know the kick and the snare are are four four boo ba boo ba. So yeah, or or you could call it the one and the four of a of a six eight time. Mm-hmm. But that's that's uh, it's just the same thing, so it doesn't matter. Um, it, that's that's one of the big things I noticed. And another thing that I noticed is every time I listened to this song, it actually got me like into the song. Like I actually, you know, I would be typing up whatever lab report or whatever essay I had to write while listening to these songs. And I would just like kind of dance to myself a little bit for about three minutes. You know? And uh, that's... That's where I always felt that Blondie's sweet spot was was getting people to dance. It it is, and I'm not a dancing person. Like, I I don't consider myself a person a, a, one to dance. You know, but that's, the fact that I feel that like it, that's what their biggest hits were were their danceable songs. Yeah, and it it got me like moving, like not just head banging. You know, mm-hmm. so I I enjoyed it for that as well. Yeah. And and great uh, vocal performance, I would say really clear vocal performance. Whoever did the sound engineering did a great job. Uh, yeah. On this. And uh, well, I could probably tell you. We could talk. We could talk. We could talk all day about the sound engineering of this song. Yeah. Um. um so what were what was the part of the song that stood out to you the most? Honestly, just the hook. 
Okay. When, but not, uh, not when she says, you know, call me, but when she says, call me, my love, call me, me. you know, that, that part yeah. of the line is, because yeah, she I takes the note and just it. soars with it, especially on the outro track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's fantastic. Fantastic. Fantastic song. My favorite uh, part of the song is the middle section when she goes, the ooh, 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 Oh, yes. That's, that's a, that's, uh, it goes, I, I think that's another key modulation that they go to. They kind of, they take it up, I want to say. I, I think they do take it up by, by like maybe two half steps or something. Yeah. So a whole step. Okay, or you could say that. <laughs> uh, yeah. To me, that's always the part that's like, that always like gives me chills whenever I listen to it, to where I'm just like, whew, this, that's just like well written right there. And her voice just sounds so good in that bridge section. Mm hmm. I, I, I think overall the band did a, a good job on this song in putting in like the extra take every take is perfect every track was perfect mm-hmm. you got a great um, synth solo which this feels like a song that could have had a guitar solo but giving it to the synth instead i think was a good call yeah yeah that's a good point yeah new wave <laughs> yeah so this is this is a hardcore new wave song huh i might like new wave oh yeah new wave <laughs> is great well when we I hopefully you like the police when you listen to it, and mm-hmm. um, but I mean like you know, eventually we'll do the Talking Heads, and that's when we'll get deep into New Wave. Hmm. Okay. Um, let's, for the sake of our listeners' sanity, move Hell on yeah. to the next. Uh, yeah. The next song, which is the other contender for my favorite, oh, just yes. because of the chorus, Atomic. Yeah, which is off of the uh, Atomic Blondie album. Um, what Eat album is it? Eat to the Beat. Yes. Okay. So, what is the meaning of this song? First question. So this song actually doesn't really have a meaning to it. She actually improvised those words during the jam sessions and just decided to leave them as is. Huh. Okay. Because she felt that the music was more of the focus on this song. Oh, it is. Because, <laughs> I mean, there's really not that much words to it. That many words to it. There's not, no. This is definitely kind more... of sad to me. Yeah, because, I mean, the... Uh, the vocals, when they are in, is, are so good. They're yeah. among my mm-hmm. favorites in the set. This is another one. I think I agree. I kind of like, I have moments where I was just like, I think this might be my Blondie's, my favorite Blondie song, which whenever I originally started out, this was my least favorite on the set. And then just the more I listened to it, the more I was just like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, this is really good. Oh, I love Mm -hmm. this now. Yeah. That one part at about minute 20, when it comes in, like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's kind of like Queen, but I don't want to say it's Queen. Uh, the, where there's a bunch it, of harmony, and then the harmony collapses into like an octave. And yeah, it's it whatever of, she's it's, singing. 
Yeah. The right before she goes atomic, you know. Oh yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. That whole that's, that that's whole... the best part of the set. I guess it's the chorus. Easily the best part of the set. And I don't and know there's from... only one because she wants the the instruments to kind of get their own little show. I guess. Yes. So definitely. This song has is kind of its legacy is known as Heart of Glass Part Two because Edith the Beast hmm. was the album that came out after Heart of Glass hit it big on Parallel Lines. So this was the fourth record, and um, you can kind of tell that they're that they're taking that feel, but they're just they're adding something different to it. That uh, that spaghetti western guitar line. Yeah, with kind of a, very... a bit of like cutting tremolo delay or whatever that is. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a dark sounding guitar line. It's not um, not happy sounding. It's only happy sounding really when the vocals come in. Yeah, it, the the whole soundscape of the part after she says atomic, you know, it, uh-huh. it's just pretty much just instrumental. Yeah. Uh, it kind of makes you think of like driving late at night. You know, yeah. through the middle of kind of nowhere, you mm-hmm. know, like on a highway between two cities. But uh, which I I imagine uh, I imagine it being a uh, like in the desert. Hmm. Yes, that's always that's always the at the night. visual that I got. <laughs> yeah. No, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Almost like a where you think you start off in at Hotel California, mm-hmm. at the beginning of Hotel California. Yeah. yeah. Dark desert highway, cool wind in my hair. Mm-hmm. Does feel like that. So uh, we've got, we've got a great bass breakdown. Oh yeah, we do. Yeah. We're, it, it, it's not really a solo. It's kind of just the bass plays the line. Yeah. With, with some embellishments. Yeah, a couple, okay. couple, couple of uh, little runs here and there, but again, yeah, not enough to where I would say it's solo. It's definitely a bass breakdown. Mm-hmm. But he just there's kind of a note here and there where he'll just kind of go higher up on the neck just to give some emphasis. Yep. But see, my we... favorite part of the song is when she comes back in with the vocals after they come back in with the groove. And it starts yes. to build in tension. Yes. And, and then she they do starts that. off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They and do, I just they, also just love the chord progression throughout this whole do, part. That's the classic, um, you know, uh, what is it? Three minor, one, six major, or whatever it is, you know, which, which is in Kashmir. It's in In My Darkest Hour. It's in Supremacy. It's in uh, so many different things. And so it was really interesting to hear it here as well also taking on the same tone of kind of like building and something's happening and this is like going to be a grand epic whatever it is you know and yeah unfortunately for me it never really gets back to the the tension never releases i think it never does kind of it's kind of the genius of that section is that it it kind of leaves you wanting more in a good way (laughs) yeah yeah i i can't say I didn't put this song on repeat. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it does leave you wanting more. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a great section. And she doesn't, her vocals aren't in the outro on this one. There's a, 
it kind of fades out with just the kind of minimalist almost instruments. Yeah. Yeah. Which Yeah. Yeah. It and can... uh, that takes us into our next song, unless you want to say anything about this one. Nope. Uh, which is In the Flesh, which sounds yes. really bluesy. Yeah, so this is like, I... more. I, this is a tribute back to like 50s and 60s, like Motown girl group stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, like the doo-wop era. Mm-hmm. So... So I guess that raises the question, was there a member of the band who was, like, bluesy and wanted to do something bluesy? Or did it just was like, hey, let's write like this for a song? See, see I don't feel the bluesiness as much on this song. This is definitely more of, like, 60s pop. Very, very, um, very Phil Spector, Wall of Sound, um, kind of evoking, like, just a lot of the Motown girl group doo-wop influences of that time where this feels maybe the most pure pop of the whole set. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Maybe not blues, but definitely retro. You know what I mean? Definitely retro sounding was, was, was a particular member pushing for that or was it just, why not? Um, I want to say that I want to say that it was Debbie Harry because her, career before she joined Blondie was doing a lot of covers like this in an all girls mm-hmm. group. So like, I want to say she was almost 30 before Blondie released their first album. Oh, wow. So she kind of had like a long career of her own before, although not successful, but like, you know, she was an artist. She was a model. She kind of did music on the side and then finally just found the right people to do it full-time so th- this isn't a cover this is an original yes this is an original okay. um it's it's just this is an homage track kind of to the music that i feel like debbie harry sang to a lot in her early days and just loved to listen to in general mm-hmm. and after listening to a few of the lyrics you know trying to pick them out i am once again wondering what the meaning of this song is so this is just kind of a i i don't believe it's about anyone in particular because her boyfriend was actually chris stein in the band ah they were together the whole time they were and he's he's the guitarist Uh uh-huh so she's not singing about a boyfriend that she misses back at home while she's touring hmm I want to say that this is just her writing a love song and just about just the idea in general about it's always better to be with someone in the flesh rather than long distance. So again, I I think that more the lyrics are going back to looking at the lyrics of that time and writing in that vein. Because the lyrics also very much fit the original timeline that this is invoking. I I don't know. The first verse doesn't seem to fit for me because it almost sounds like she's like just meeting this guy and he's out with his girlfriend and she's all like, oh, but I want him sort of drama thing, but that could just be me. So that's why I was wondering. 
Okay. I don't know. Well, <laughs> again, we can leave that up to uh, the listeners, I guess. Yeah, I don't think that they're because this wasn't. I would say this is the most minor hit on the list. Although uh-huh. this was a this was a big song in Australia when it came out. Huh. But this is this is off of the very first record, so they hadn't hit it big yet at this point. Okay. So, um, but I, it was like in Australia, and I think maybe parts of Europe. This song was a minor hit, mm-hmm. but it's kind of just again one of those songs that just has been revered by Blondie fans over the years, and has kind of made its way onto a lot of their greatest hits compilations and such as. Mm-hmm. And and you're right, it does have a lot of that doo-wop feel because mm-hmm. the backing vocals have a, a lot of harmonies going on that don't, that they complement the lead vocals, but they're not uh, mirroring the lead vocals. And uh, different timbers as well, so like different vowel sounds. You know, there's the oohs and the ahs in the same line, which is great when an artist is able to like use the different feelings that the the very minor feelings that those vowels evoke to change the mood of a song. And I thought yeah. that was something that I noticed and, and it raised my appreciation for this song. Even though it's not my favorite song of the set, uh, uh-huh. I would say by a long shot, it's still, that's why it kind of earns It's still a great standing. song. It, yeah, it's a good song. Um, and and it's definitely a toned down, I would say, from a lot of the previous songs. Yes, I it's, think that it's, it's much it's the uh, I think it's the beautiful tension release that we needed at the end of Atomic, mm-hmm. as well as setting us up for the finale. The finale, which is Heart of Glass, which I would the... say is normally my favorite Blondie song. Mm-hmm. But but you know, <laughs> also call me and atomic are just so good that I kind so of good. it it makes me wonder sometimes. But then it's like Heart of Glass is always the one that I go back to. It's just like, yeah, this is my favorite one. Uh-huh. This was the first song of Blondie's that I ever loved. That when I heard it the first time, I was just like, Oh my gosh, what a great song. <sighs> so Yeah, okay. This this is another one of those songs that makes me think that there's something going on with the Swedish music scene and them. Probably more oh, yeah. along the lines of they influenced it. Um, I think they were influenced by it again. Okay, really, the only I think the only Swedish you're thinking of is ABBA, and I think it's just because ABBA conform to the American disco scene of that time. I don't think there's really anything Swedish about it. Well, it, it also kind of some of the previous songs, like I, w- I would almost say that um, Atomic could have been like a ghost song if it were yeah. like a little bit heavier. I Man, that'd be a great cover to, to hear. Ghost that cover would be. Atomic. Yeah. I think that would fit them. It really would. No, yeah, because because that guitar line is is kind of the ghost feel. You know, uh-huh. it sounds like something off of Infest System Mom or something. Yeah. Um I don't know. That's every 
time I went through these songs, you know, I thought like of different artists that it may have influenced. Like for example, in the flesh almost sounds like a like a GNR coverable, you know. Huh. Kind of sounds that. like now since I don't have it sounds like their cover of Since I Don't Have You. Interesting. I wouldn't have ever thought that, but now that you say it, I could <laughs> I could hear that. Yeah. Um uh, and and back to Heart of Glass, of course, the the opening vocal line once again has that same feel. Kind of uh-huh. that European music. Um or at least, you know, as you said, European that tries to conform to America. Yeah. Uh, and Cause yeah. again, I would say that, <laughs> you know, ABBA really hit it big once they jumped on the disco bandwagon and crafted one of disco's biggest hits with Dancing Queen. Yeah. And I would say that that's probably the song that Heart of Glass sounds the most like. And technically, I want to say Dancing Queen came out earlier. I want to say that was like 77. Mm, I wouldn't know. <laughs> it might I be. I don't know. I don't feel like looking that up. I do know <laughs> the song that they are very intentionally pulling from and they said was Staying Alive by the Bee Gees. Because On that's like, what? Yeah, because that's that was that is the disco song. That's the biggest disco song of all time. And even when they were writing this song in 77, around 78, because they actually had this song kind of already finished when the second album came out, but they thought that their punk audience would turn on them if they released a disco song, so they wimped out and saved it for the third album. Hmm. But at that time in 77, when the second record came out, the Bee Gees were the biggest band on the planet. Their soundtrack for Saturday Night Fever is in the top 10's best-selling albums of all time. Wow. Wow. And so, like, just disco wow. was was the reigning force for a couple years in the music industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you look at artists like Donna Summers that just, like, literally built their entire career on that genre. And, mm-hmm. you know... That was that was kind of their number one inspiration was going let's let's make a let's make a song like Staying Alive. I think specifically in the fact of just making the drums really tight and having that disco beat. Cause the disco drum beat is when you have the alternating opening hi hats scats scats. That's that's disco. It does kind of sound like uh you know, now now that you really have been talking about how disco's prevalent, I can really feel the disco in the bass line yep you know the kind of the bouncing major bass line mm-hmm. um, that just kind of repeats throughout the whole song yeah this is definitely you know, the, a dance the instruments really don't vary very much but except just, for the, the chorus to change you know, the chorus yeah but. it's got a, it's got a great tight groove which that guitar line is is so tasty Mm-hmm. That yep, yep, yep. But I mean the the whole the whole glue that just puts the whole song together is is Debbie's vocal performance in this song. Yeah, I think yeah. it's the, I think I, it's her best. 
And I would add to that that not only that, but you also, after the hook or whatever it is, you have that synth line that copies it. You know, the synth line could have done something completely different, but the fact that the the guy who plays the synth decided, oh, I'm just going to add my little extra sweet sauce without going overboard mm-hmm. keeps the song from sounding you know like something i would have written you know it actually sounds good and uh <laughs> but it, it, every, every time it would go back to that synth line i would just think he could have easily messed that up and he didn't you congratulations know? So it, sir you did it, not it, mess <laughs> this up but I just think it's it's something that it's it's as important to know when to not play than when mm-hmm. to play. And he is playing, but it's as important to know when not to show off. Yes, I think Blondie always was really good at that. They never overplayed. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> they he they always served the song, and I think. Uh, Heart of Glass is a song that they really shine on that with. Um, lyrically, the song is very interesting as well because it's a okay. you know it's a breakup song, but it's like I feel like that this broke a lot of molds for how females sung breakup songs. Like it could have been this very weepy, like oh I've got a I'm so sad that he left me. She almost kind of just treats it like an annoyance. Just kind of just like, oh, that sucked, but, you know, that probably should have happened anyway. Hmm. Like, the way that she says that in the last verse, turns out it was just a pain in the ass. Like, that was just yeah. that was something very different huh. for a female vocalist to say. And something that they got in trouble for and had to censor when they played it on radio. <laughs> but just like, She's not talking about I'm so heartbroken by it. She's just kind of like, um, you know, yeah, that person was not who he said he was. You know, oh, well, shame on me. Let's let's get it right next time. Uh, But at the same time, the tone. We hear music like that all the time. Yeah, but but then also you contrast with how she's singing it. It's so delicate and so. Like, she sounds like her voice is made of glass, which I think does a really good job of paralleling with the vo- with the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a very crystal-sounding yeah, vocal performance. Paralleling, complementing, mm-hmm. kind of in the way that we talked about, like, Jane's Addiction, where it's like he's singing about something that's really, like, not, you know, I'm not good but the way that he sings it makes it almost sound maddening in the same way that blondie you know when when debbie's singing something that's really kind of sad oh in in a very delicate voice over a happy disco Uh puts a different spin on yeah you know no now the breakup's not sad now it's like oh i'm glad i'm Uh uh-huh I'm glad I know the truth. So, that's cool. That's really cool. That's really that's really cool. I 
You know, just talking about this song grew my appreciation. Yeah. And then we've got a great fade out on this <laughs> song, too, where we've got uh, uh, Clem just kind of messing around on the kid, adding those little fills in between. Yeah, there's a little keyboard yep. embellishment, and the bass and guitar are just kind of jamming away. Yeah, and just overall, I now that I talk about it, it's just like, yeah, this is my favorite. That's a great way to end the set, because it's it's a... The song itself yeah. is a happy ending. But at the same time, it still kind of has this so. little bit of a mood underneath the surface to kind of make it interesting. Yeah. So um, we're at about an hour, and uh, Anchor won't let us. Uh, yeah, I saw that. that are longer than an hour, so we like, can go well, ahead and take a break. I hope we end this on time. And... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but uh, we'll go ahead and take a break, and then when we get back, we'll uh, talk about our bonus song and our final thoughts, yeah. which I'm really excited for both of those. All right. Um, we'll so stick with us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about Blondie and about all the songs. Just to recap, those songs were One Way or Another, Hanging on the Telephone, Call Me, Atomic, In the Flesh, and Heart of Glass. Remember that there is a link in the episode description where you can find a Spotify playlist with those songs on there. But now it's time to talk about the bonus song. Grant, what is a bonus song? So a bonus song is a song um, by an artist that's related to the main artist that we're talking about each week. But that artist, maybe for whatever reason, we're not going to give them their own episode um, but we still want to talk about them and kind of give them homage or homage or however you pronounce it um, to it's the work homage. that whatever <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to the musical work that that they've done. And uh, this week we're going to be talking about a I'd say quite obvious um, bonus song. We got the beat by the Go Go's. Yes. So um, once I again, really, this I song really is like the, this song. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, uh, I I really like this song. I feel like this is a song that like, if you're a metalhead like I am, you can be made fun of for liking this song, but it's just really fun. Yeah. I I don't want to listen to this song uh, without headphones on, but just just like yeah. that does get me dancing. Um, it does exactly what it's supposed to do, which is to does. make you give make you beat. dance and yeah, exactly. It's it it's set out to do exactly what it was meant to do. Yes, it 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 does really well at that, and um, I would say that initially I did not like the vocal performance at all um, on okay. this song, but as I listened to it. And and I still really don't like the, you know, kind of the whole vocal performance at the beginning. You know, the way she pronounces pool is kind of cheesy. But as you progress through the song, 
you know, and you get to the part where it's the breakdown, you got the clapping, which is super cool. Um, and certainly live, I bet, is is quite a sight. Um, oh, I bet it is. And and she is doing kind of the the vocal add-ins that uh, the lead vocalist has. Um, mm-hmm. it, and, and she's got that whole raspy thing going on as well as well as uh Debbie does. I think that's that's probably the greatest part. Well no, this... it's not it's not it's it's not Debbie Harry. It's not Debbie. But it's No, like... this is this is not a this is not a solo project. Of... Oh no, no I, I wasn't In... saying it was. I wasn't saying it was. I was just saying she she has that raspiness to her voice much like Debbie does. Oh, uh, okay. You know, no, it's that, not it, Debbie Harry. Yeah, there's that there's that one line, and I don't know what she's singing, but it uh, it sounds. There's, she kind of does this rock. little screech during the during the the vocal breakdown. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So at least you know what I'm talking about. Um, and I know what we're talking about. Yeah, it's a it's also on the Spotify list, so the people listening to the podcast can know what we're talking about. Um, yeah, but and the relation, I'm sure is that this is an all-female band. Yes, it is. Which and is cool. while while um, Blondie is not, um, also another reason I picked it was just because of their effective... I felt like that this was a good companion piece to a song like In the Flesh, where they're really paying homage to kind of a more retro sound. Specifically, they're kind of celebrating um, surf rock, back from the 60s mm-hmm. and specifically also i mean that's in the name the go-go's that's you know a type of you know female dancer from back in the day not like in a bad way but just that was you know a go-go girl mm-hmm. is very much a, a product of that time mm-hmm. so i just i just felt it fit sonically as well as just kind of thematically yeah yeah um and and once again if you're like the metalhead that i am i'm braced for impact you're probably not gonna like this first listen Uh, (laughs) but it'll grow on you i promise certainly certainly yes it does the bridge um listen to with an open mind um that's what this is for you may find some enjoyment in this song i certainly did um so. Which I was, I was curious if you would, but I, I, I did. did. I did, and and uh, yeah, just it's this is another song that that I remember from my childhood as well. Not yeah, as much this is as this is a very but... popular song, and the Go Go's yeah. are a pretty popular band. They were not one hit wonders. Um, oh, they had, okay. They had a couple of other big songs like um, "Our Lips Are Sealed" and "Vacation." Uh, oh yeah i know head over, head over heels so yeah okay uh, i know some of those but yeah. at the same time they're not the kind of band that i'm gonna do a full episode on i don't like them that much <laughs> but you know if they're still they still are worthy to be talked about so mm-hmm. i figured you know this could be a, a good way to at least bring them up in the conversation yeah so, great bonus song. Go check it out. Let's talk about final thoughts. Yes. So, go ahead and give me yours first. 
Okay. Um, so I had heard of Blondie, obviously, especially from the 1985 Bowling for Soup. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I had, I had known that they existed and I honestly, I thought they were later in the eighties. So I, I clearly did not know that much about them. I didn't know what songs they had. I knew the songs, obviously. I mean, I knew one way or another, and I knew Call Me, but I didn't ever make the connections that there were Blondie songs. And so listening to the other four songs for the first time was obviously completely new, and I I knew it was related to the artist that, you know, obviously did those songs that I've heard. Um and I feel like I've always been taught to, you know, not like bands that are like Blondie and whatever. And so I told my dad, I'm like, oh, we're doing our episode on Blondie tonight. And he's like, so do you like Blondie? And I'm like, yeah, I kind of do. And that's true. I mean, I really do kind of like, this is the kind of pop that I like. And, yes. you know, he then, he then had to quiz me and say, you know, you, you know, after you dated a Blonde, you've sworn off blondes and i said well this is music so that's unrelated but um <laughs> <laughs> oh guy <laughs> come on uh but uh well no that's true i i, I did tell them uh tell them that one time uh that i had i had sworn off dating blondes but i have not sworn off listening to blondie i think blondie is a great band um and their songs are just enough to keep my ear interested but not too much to keep me from being productive you know if i were to put headphones on and listen to something while i'm getting work done or whatever so i like blonde yeah. and i respect them as musicians and composers and and the influencers that they are yes so that's my final thoughts <laughs> awesome so for me um i actually knew quite little about them i don't i kind of don't even know what compelled me to make the decision of okay i'm gonna do a full episode on blondie which i really don't know much about uh but boy am i glad that i did because my love and respect for them went way through the roof throughout this whole process um i would say half of the list of the songs we talked about, I had never heard before. I started doing my research for them. So this was almost kind of a new experience for me as well. Mm. And, um, which was really good. And I'm just really happy that, um, I did this episode on them and got a, a chance to learn more about a band that really meant something and a band that, I know that I'm going to listen to a lot more of in the future. Well, that's cool. That's what this podcast is all about. Yeah. So I, I became a Blondie fan throughout this. So, you know, I can be like the testimonial for this podcast of, (laughs) of just give stuff a chance and you never know what you'll walk away a fan of as a result. So what's your favorite song? Uh, it's got to be harder glass. Oh man, yeah, mine's mine's probably atomic. Honestly, nice. That's 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 
contending second with Call yeah. Me. Yeah. <laughs> After I figured out what Call Me was about, I had to I had to switch. Oh. <laughs> I just uh, but, oh. I know, I know. And then also but... it's just it's just a good song too. It, you know, it, it's it's its own it's its own Atomic just has that extra dose of the secret sauce. It does. And that's that's what ultimately swung, you know, my or the majority of my vote to Atomic, but um I got nothing else to say about Blondie other than, you know, everybody listening to this podcast should go listen to the playlist. Decide for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Remember, it's a link in the description in the episode. And um, also, if you'll check there, there are is a link to where you can donate to the podcast if you so feel inclined. And uh, make sure you check us out on social media. We're uh, upping our social media presence. So um, if you want to get in on the conversation as well as be heard on a future episode, comment on our posts. We're going to get more discussions going, some more debates. And um, also leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Let us know what band you want us to do next, as well as um, subscribe. We have a new episode coming out next Monday, 9 a.m. Central. We are not stopping production due to the coronavirus. So um, we're going to be going back to the source on next week's episode, going back to where things began. So it's about time we kind of... Kind of. this far <laughs> so uh, if you're a fan of the true oldies then make sure you tune in yeah this and I think this that's is all before I, got. I was born this next band is before I was born I'll tell you that oh before before probably a lot of our parents were born <laughs> oh yeah my parents weren't born at that point we're going way back so definitely be there for that iconic artist um, yeah All right, so that's it for me. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Keep on listening to good music. Thank you.